0: Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. My name is Rob Samuelson. I'm an elder here at Generations Church, and with me as always is my good friend and the lead pastor at Generations, Jeff Luddington. How you doing, Jeff? I am doing well, man. We get to... Uh... You saved me from myself
1: last time. I had so many notes for this episode here that uh, it would have gone on and droned on and everybody would have quit listening to us. And so we cut it in half and
0: we get to come back and talk about it again. So I like it. Great, yeah. And, and if you missed last week's episode, I hope you'll go back and, and listen to it. But um, just to kind of get you caught up a little bit, the question, uh, and again, just as a, as a reminder, we're doing a series called Questions from the Classroom. So these are questions... Uh, that we have received from our students, high school students. Um, we don't edit the questions, we just throw them out there and then try to answer them. And And this was a very general, very open-ended question, what does the Bible say about slavery? And as we were digging into this, we said, man, there's just so much to it. Um, not knowing exactly what the student was asking and, and looking at all different sides of this. So last week we focused on the Old Testament passages about slavery. And then this week, we're going to talk about the New Testament passages. So why don't you just give us a quick recap of what we talked about last time?
1: Yeah, here's some things that are true Old Testament or new um, there. And, and this, is, this is true of a lot of things. But as it relates to slavery, um, there are different words, right? And so we have, you know, the word slavery in English. Uh, but there was, I think I counted up to about seven Hebrew words uh, for the last week's episode. And then in Greek, I know there's, there's several like doulos, bond, servant, and things that are translated different ways. And so there's, uh, you used the example of love last week, you know, love in in Greek. So if we're in the New Testament, there's four words in Greek, uh, that talk about love, and it's kind of the difference between loving my family or you know, loving tacos or pizza or something like that. It's, it's nuanced, and they have different words in other languages, we use one word, but we know how it fits. And then the second super important thing is context. God is sometimes writing to someone in the context of slavery. Sometimes God is writing to the slave. Sometimes God is writing about slavery. Sometimes God is writing about servanthood and sometimes God is writing to the master or the person who has servants or slaves. And so the context matters as God is speaking to people. He's speaking differently. An example when I'm doing marriage counseling, when, I, when I'm talking to couples, right? If I'm meeting with a wife, maybe only, I don't talk about the husband, we talk about her. If I'm meeting with the husband only, I talk about him. When I'm meeting with the couple, I can talk about the marriage, right? So I might say different things depending on the context. So as God writes scripture, he writes to particular people or people groups or settings like this, right? With different contexts, and we have to parse out who is he talking to at that time and why? That matters, Old Testament or New Testament.
0: All right, so let's let's jump right into a, a difficult passage, a hard passage as we go through this. Um, in the book of Ephesians 6, 5 and 6, we've got Paul writing, and we're trying to figure out, we're looking at, does the Bible condone slavery? But Paul writes directly to people who are slaves or enslaved. And he writes this, um, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. With a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not only by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So this brings up a couple of questions to me. First of all, the, the term here is bond servant. It's translated different ways uh, depending on what translation you're using. But is that equivalent to what we think of when we think of slavery in America? And then, does this passage condone slavery by saying that um, you know? obey your earthly masters like it's okay if you're a slave just here's how you deal with it yeah so doulos is the greek word here and
1: uh it is rightly translated bond servant slave would be okay servant would be okay it's not a one for one and so it's not um it's not exactly like u.s history slavery it can be so this is written to ephesus right uh where the ephesians were in charge. Rome is the primary authority at this point and Rome had slaves. They had enslaved different people groups. Um, They also had tiers or classes of people like Jews uh, in Rome were not uh, the equivalent of like Roman citizens, right? They were like a second class citizen, right? So there's all different kind of settings. So I want to give three options. One slave, like everybody hears the word slave and thinks of slave, like completely wrong, uh, forced labor, uh, abused. That's one setting. Another would be a chosen position of service, right? Uh, And another would be like a second-class citizen. Any one of those settings, Paul would have written this same language to. So no, it's not a one-for-one, but I, I can confidently say Paul would say even to the enslaved um like we think of like wrong right like that that kind of wrong thing he would say slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would christ right i, I think he would say the same thing he would also say that to the servant or modern day parallel worker business owner or worker manager or something like that and in places in the world where there's second-class citizens i think he would say the same thing okay and and there's a reason um, he because it doesn't just say hey Behave, right? Because we hear that and it's just so wrong. Like slaves, behave. That's not what he's saying. He says, "Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ." Not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants. So, bond servants obey your masters as bond servants of Christ. Do this out of service to Jesus, right? So he pivots, right? He and then the the last part that you read, doing the will of God from the heart. He begins to paint a bigger picture. So if he is writing, if so Paul, on behalf of God, is writing to people without the power to change something, what do you do? And he actually gives them a power to change something. So instead of, you can't fix your your slavery or your second-class citizenship or maybe your status among society, you're just a servant, right? But what you can change, what you can contribute to is what you do And how you shape culture if you obey like you obey me like you're doing the will of god you will then represent christianity to those who are in power right live right in such a way that will help shape culture because people will see jesus in your actions right now this verse is written after talking about husbands and wives uh, children obeying their parents and then it continues in the oikos or the household and it talks about slaves or servants in the home. So it really isn't writing to slaves, but the purpose, no matter what, how you hear this word slave or bond servant, the purpose is if you live in a Christ-like way out of obedience to Jesus, not out of obedience to the bad guy you don't like, but out of obedience to Jesus, you will then represent Christ in culture and God's will, the kingdom will start to take root because of your actions doesn't say children obey your parents. If your parents are right, it says do it right? Do this because you're going to represent Christ, right? And so it begins to give a very gospel kingdom perspective. That actual passage goes on and says, rendering service with a will to the Lord, not to man knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive it back from the Lord. In other words, don't look for your payment here, get your payment from God, right? But it finishes verse nine masters do the same to them. So switches Now, if you're a person who has servants or workers or slaves, right? Do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours, in other words, God, right, who is in heaven, there's no partiality in him. It says there's no partiality in God. God doesn't see people as second-class citizens. God doesn't see them as lower or servants. God sees them as his. So you, if you have servants, better act right too. So, right, so he gives a, a warning to masters. So it's different. No, it's not slavery. But the point being, no matter your setting at all, is live in a Christ-like manner so that the kingdom, the gospel, will take root because that's bigger than just the setting of any one person or people group.
0: Right. And that's so important for us to understand that even in those situations where we don't have control, we do have control over something. We have control over the way we act in those situations, how how we glorify Christ.
1: Yeah. That in no way condones slavery. This isn't this is an oikos city. This is a household city. So it's more like maids and butlers kind of setting. But if we take it to the extreme about slavery, there is, you can find a bigger reason, a bigger me, obedience to God in settings that are completely wrong
0: so that Christ can be seen. It does give it that, right? Right. And, and so, yeah, at times Paul's writing to where the Bible is, is focusing on people who are in situations they don't control. Um, but there are other times when we do have control. And in this situation, thinking of a master, thinking of someone in that position, um, you know, we think of of someone who has the ability to make a difference, and someone who can maybe maybe God is calling us to a higher sense of, of justice in that right. situation. So we think of Philemon, um, the story of Onesimus, a runaway slave, and and Paul writing a letter to his owner, his his master, and he says, uh, "This is in First One, chapter, uh, starting at chapter ten. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order uh, that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Now, this brings up a couple questions in my mind. Um, He's actually, Paul is sending a slave back to his master. and he's exhorting Philemon to treat Onesimus differently than he had before, as a result of Onesimus's faith and Philemon's faith. Um, but it doesn't condemn Philemon this letter for owning a slave, right? And so we've got kind of this struggle of of what's going on here. What is what is Paul doing in this in this section?
1: Yeah, that's and it, this is that's such a good question. Um, so imagine. And this is closer. So in in Philemon's uh, and Onesimus' setting, it's far closer to um, not just a servant like a job, but someone who should not run away, like uh, legally shouldn't run away like a slave, right? Um, And does run away. So what the slave or bond servant is the term used here, uh, runs away, goes to Paul. And what's relevant here is Paul's a Christian, obviously, Philemon, the owner is a slave and Onesimus, the slave, I'm sorry, Philemon, the owner is a Christian. Onesimus, the slave is also a Christian. So everybody's a Christian here. So as Paul then writes back to Philemon, he does two things. He uh, he tells he sends Onesimus the slave back, hey, you're a one away, I need you to go home, right? Man, I love you. I'm glad you've been here. You've been a great asset to me. But the right thing to do is for you to go home. Then he writes a letter that goes before him, and he tells Philemon, "Hey, please, treat him right. Different. Don't live by the world you live in, by the rules that you can legally live by, but rather treat him differently, right?" And so uh, he says, um, "I prefer to do nothing without your consent." He goes on later in that chapter, uh, but um, for perhaps this is why we are parted for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bond servant. But more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord? And then Paul, like, I mean, like, Paul puts everything on it. He says, if you consider me your partner, and they loved Paul, right? They respected Paul. He says, receive Onesimus as you would receive me, right? So here's what Paul does. He sends this letter back. He has Onesimus to do the right thing legally by going home, right? And then he asked Philemon to treat Onesimus as a brother. So he asked the gospel, or he asked in light of the gospel, to elevate everything. Don't treat him like a slave or a bondservant. It's not quite a slave, but similar, right? Treat him as a brother. Treat him like you would treat me. So Paul actually calls Philemon to do better than culture would allow. And culture oftentimes is so far away from God, right? It's... it's, like our culture today is so far, even Christian culture today is so far away from God would have us, right? God has to condescend to the culture we live in and incrementally call us forward. I think that was true during slavery that God, and, and part of, we always think of slavery white versus black, but there were so many white, and it was a lot of Christians, pastors especially, that were against slavery. It was them that helped liberate black slaves, right? And in that culture, God is calling Christians to help eradicate the problem. Some are doing it, some are against it, some are for it, whatever. And in this sometimes we're just so far away from where God would have us that the changes are often incremental or individual instead of legal, right? So, hey, Philemon, I need you to live differently, right? I know you have the right to do this legally, but I need you to do this differently because of Christ. Treat him like you would treat me. So God condescends to the culture and calls incremental change, not because it's okay or not because it's right, but because in order to change things, it takes steps, takes individuals
0: and people groups to start to change. Exactly. So Paul uh, addressing Philemon in this way is not condoning the fact that he owned slaves, but focusing on the culture at the time and saying, hey... Since this is going on, here's how you here's right. how you should treat your. I slaves. want you to be different, right? And yeah. so this reminds me of an example you've given before with uh, marriage in the Old mm-hmm. Testament, how so many men had multiple wives, and they were still blessed yeah. by God, but that doesn't condone what they were doing. That was still against what God's original creation was was set up to be one man, one woman. Um, but, Absolutely. So here's the question then: if if it's not condoning slavery, does it actually, does the New Testament actually come out, out completely against slavery and say, hey, this is just wrong?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So going back to your point, if God looks around the planet and, or you know, the city or the, you know, the church or whatever, and all he's got to deal with is dudes who are married to multiple women, well, that's all he's got to work with, right? So you take what you have. Now, just imagine a man married to multiple women. We all would say, okay, that's wrong. God wants the husband of one wife. He's very clear about that in the New Testament. That's very clear. What do you do to those other wives and those other children? Do you divorce them? Well, God doesn't want that, right? Do you leave them, widow them, you know, like treat them as, you know, like widows and orphans? No, you have to You have to work in the setting, right? You have to work in the setting to not do further damage, but call culture closer to the kingdom, right? So in... Uh, Paul, same author, and that's what we we did that in the Old Testament, we stayed in Moses. Here, we're staying with Paul. So same author writing, right? Paul says this in 1 Timothy, as he is writing to Timothy, a pastor who is pastoring the church of Ephesus, right? So it's same church, same city, same stuff going on, right? He says, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. So he's saying the law rules exist for people that are sinful. That's what he's saying, right? For those who strike their fathers and mothers. Now, Paul gives some examples of sin. For those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, listen up, and enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So slavery's wrong, he says. Bond servant isn't quite slavery, but it flirts with it, right? And in some settings, gets real close, right? In other settings it's, it's cleaner but in this but it can be, right So he calls slavery a sin and he puts it on the level with murderers and whatever else, right So slavery is sin to Paul. He't He doesn't mix words about it but he has to deal with slaves. What do slaves do? And in our culture today, we don't like hearing this. But people who are being wrong, sometimes what God calls us to do is be the right person in that setting, not just flee the setting, right? That's a bigger conversation for a bigger for another day. But sometimes that's the right thing to do. Take it out of slavery. Sometimes when a husband isn't a Christian, and the wife is the right thing to do, according to Paul, as he writes to First Corinthians, stay in the marriage, be a godly wife, win your husband to Jesus by doing the right thing. Same thing, husbands, stay with your wives, do that, right? In this setting, he's saying, listen, if you're a bondservant, stay. Be a godly one. Let's win culture to Jesus because that's bigger. That will eradicate slavery. And yes, Paul calls slavery sin clearly.
0: So in our, our last episode, we ended with looking for a deeper meaning in all this. And we said that with the, uh, the slavery in, in Egypt of the, of the Israelites, they were called later on a reminder to remember. Remember what you were and right. then treat others differently. Um, in this one, we seem to see an, an understanding of, we gain a better understanding of sin as we look through it through the eyes of slavery. We are slaves to sin. Um, Paul, again, writing to the, the church in Rome, um, chapter 6, verses 20 to 23, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now that you have been set free from sin, so we see that, that slavery mm-hmm. terminology there. Um, now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah. So then the slavery then becomes a metaphor,
1: right? And so slavery in the Old Testament it was a metaphor, it was, it was literal, they were literally delivered from slavery, but it was a remembrance, right? Hey, remember what God has done in your life. That will give you hope if you're struggling, that will also have you teach your children and it also then play out in treating other people differently. That's where we closed last week, right? Here, in Christ, we take that further listen, your sin enslaved you, right? The culture that is sinful that you live in, whether it be slavery, or or, you know, divorce, which we're going to talk about in our next episode, you know, the the struggles around Christians in marriage, right, sexuality, addiction, whatever it is, your sin enslaves you, the gospel frees you. And so it gives us this deeper place where we can, we can learn about sin and learn about the gospel and learn about what Christ has done for us through that image of slavery, my past, as everybody probably knows, I went through years and years of addiction, right? I was enslaved to something I chose to do. And at one point I chose it and I wasn't addicted and then I continued to do it. I was addicted. I became enslaved to my own sin, literally imprisoned to my choices, right? And the gospel set me free. So that powerful image of what God does. So same thing, deliverance from Egypt, deliverance from sin or slavery, right? Same thing. It becomes a metaphor in the gospel for what God has truly done for us
0: and our lives and our sin and freed us to live for him. Great. So we will wrap it up there. Uh, again, we thank you for listening, for joining us today. We ask that you would uh, share these with friends, get the word out there, um, discuss them, listen to them with other people, like them, subscribe to them, give us some reviews. If you have questions you'd like us to focus on in the future, you can send us an email at questions at generations dot email. May God bless you this week. more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church. G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at GenFamilyChurch.